Hi, I'm Howard Drossen, and you're listening to the Sega Lounge. Welcome to the Sega Lounge, a podcast dedicated to our love for all things Sega, be it the games, the music, or the community. I'm KC. In each episode, I'll be talking to different guests and sharing their projects and their passion for Sega. Hello and welcome to the Sega Lounge, your weekly podcast dedicated to our favorite big blue company. A company that has celebrated earlier this week its 60th anniversary. I've been a Sega fan for almost half of its existence, and I'm glad to be able to share my passion for the company through this podcast. Hopefully, we'll see more exciting games and projects coming from Sega in the future. Go Sega! Hashtag Go Sega. Hashtag Sega 60th. In related news, there is now a Sega-themed UFO Catcher game you can play on your smartphone's browser. Earth UFO Catcher invites Sega fans from all over the world to take part in a planetary-scale crane game and find characters, logos, hardware, and more items related to the Big Blue. You can access it on your phone by going to ufo.sega.com. That's ufo.sega.com. If you can catch all items before the end of the event on June 9th, you can apply to receive a physical commemorative medal. And you can also share your collection on Twitter, too. Have fun, and be sure to tag at the Sega Lounge if you get some cool items while playing. As we celebrate six years of Sega, it's a real honor for me to talk about this week's guest and his role in creating music for amazing games back in the 90s. This week's guest is an American musician and composer who joined the Sega Technical Institute in the 1990s and worked on games such as Sonic Spinball, Sonic & Knuckles, Comic Zone and The Ooze during his tenure. He later wrote music for Die Hard Arcade and Dynamite Cop, Alien Front Online and even Sonic & The Black Knight. He is now focused on writing music for films. This was one of the most interesting interviews I ever did on the show, and we spent so much time talking that I had to split the interview into two parts. It's my pleasure to open the doors of the lounge to the great Howard Drossen. Stay tuned for the first part of the interview as Howard talks about his beginnings as a musician, working at STI and takes our Quick Shots challenge. Hello, Howard. Welcome to the Sega Lounge. How are you doing these days? Has this affected your work significantly? It has. It has because uh, uh, there were two things I was slated to work on. One of them was a live concert and the other one was a TV show that was about to go into production. And both of them, uh, for obvious reasons, have been uh, shelved uh, for a later date, which I, I have no idea when that's happening. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, the big plus, you know, we're doing fine. My family's fine. I've got three kids and a lovely wife. And, uh, you know, we've spent a lot of time with our kids and trying to help them get through this and understand what's going on. 
so we're we're doing fine. Um, I also spent a lot of my time uh, doing, especially during this period right now, doing some volunteer work as well uh, to help feed less fortunate people uh, who are really struggling right now as a result of this. Great. And uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah, awesome. But it's it's good that you're uh, at least <laughs> uh, physically you're doing well, right? So no virus Absolutely. around the house. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no virus around the house, and uh, you know we've been we've been careful, and um, and you know pretty much everybody around us, at least where I live, everybody's being responsible. Mm -hmm. um, but I have to say, you know, as awful as this is, uh, in, in so many ways, especially economically and and uh, uh, human health wise, uh, there are some. Uh, bright spots that have come out of it. I think for the first time in my whole life here in Los Angeles, the air is pure and clear. I've never seen it quite like it is now, have the kind of quality. It's probably like it was, you know, a century ago. And uh, my wife and I have, have kind of gotten into more of an exercise routine, a daily exercise routine where we've started running again and doing a lot of things like that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Uh, this, you know, there there are some bright spots in all of this. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree, and it's interesting how the planet actually can uh, <laughs> clean itself if we don't interfere. <laughs> yes, and and I really wish that we could all learn from this. Kind of look around and and maybe you know when we do reset or mm -hmm. you know whenever they say use the word reopen here in America, mm -hmm. um, that we could. Listen, if there was ever a time to trans transition as you know away from fossil fuel, I can't think of a better time than now when everything yeah. is shut down, but I'm just not sure if the powers that be will let that happen. Yeah, actually from countries that are already reopening and going back to whatever normal is right now, mm -hmm. um the <laughs> the pollution levels are is already already going back to whatever what they were before and i think chinese people are already struggling with that as well so uh i'm not yeah. sure if we, we never learn that's the problem yeah you know it, maybe we're just not ready for it uh but i have uh used this time to uh yeah. you know focus musically on maybe some uh discovering some making some new discoveries musically, improving my, you know, my skills. Uh, I've started scoring a short film, a student film, um, through a mutual friend I met uh, through my volunteer work that needed music for her <laughs> film. And so I'm helping her out with that and uh, just trying to stay busy. And I think that's important for everybody in the middle of this is oh, to sure. try and, you know, be creative and, And uh, and continue to grow and learn. Mm -hmm. Definitely, yeah. Uh, try yeah. to take something positive out of all of this mess, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's very easy to focus on negative things because it's about all you see mm -hmm. in the media, and uh, you know. But uh, in in spite of that, you know, we can all try and and focus on positivity. Mm -hmm. And uh, if everybody would do that, you know, we can come out of this a little stronger indeed agreed <laughs> yeah 
Okay, so let's let's go back um, a couple of years, right? Mm. Uh, so how did you get into composing music? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was just a few years ago. Exactly. Uh, you know, really, I started playing instruments as a young child, and I mm -hmm. kind of bounced around with different instruments. I played the cello first, and then the piano. Uh, I'd never planned on being a composer. I was actually an artist when I was a little kid, so I used to draw pictures of everything. But I spent my time practicing my instruments because I wanted to make my teachers happy. And then in early teenagehood, I discovered that you know, piano and cello weren't really things that were going to get you close to the ladies. Uh, <laughs> so I think a few friends of mine had a band going and they would play at school parties and things like that. And uh, I went to a few of these things and I saw that, hey, you know, there were women talking to them afterward. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll go that route. And I started playing the guitar. And <laughs> once I started, I just didn't stop. And... Uh, but still, I never had any aspirations to be a composer. I used to make up songs. And the first band I was in, I just, no one really had any songs. So I started writing songs. And that's really where my writing started, was being in bands. And so, uh, Out of necessity, almost. Someone had to do it. Yeah, out of necessity. And also, you know, I think that some other guys in the band contributed a few things. I just didn't really like it. And I would, and okay. I was just kind of felt like, well, I I'm gonna jump on this songwriting train, and uh, you know, who am I to criticize somebody else if I'm not writing something? So mm -hmm. that's that's really where writing in earnest started for me was uh, in uh, being in bands, and uh, my parents, you know, I, they're composers and artists in my family, so they I was lucky enough to have parents that supported you know, a, one of their children being creative and wanting to go this route professionally. Though I wanted to uh, be a guitar player. <laughs> so uh, my parents, kind of in my mid-teens, you know, were kind of planting the seed in my head that you really should get a proper education and not rely on making a living playing the guitar in a band. Uh and that led me to study music at a private conservatory. I started while I was still in high school, actually. And uh, they offered a degree system, much like universities do or other colleges. And I don't remember how. I really think it was the urging of my parents. You know, hey, listen, go get a degree in something here. This is a field you want to be involved with. And if things don't work out, you can always teach. Uh, so that's that's really how it started for me. And uh, you know, I went ahead and got this degree all the while playing in bands. And when I was done, I realized that, you know, there aren't orchestras out there uh, waiting to play your music that you've written. <laughs> so uh, I didn't really, this is pre-internet. I didn't really know, you know, how does one go about doing any of this? And I thought, well, there's writing music for films. So I thought, okay, that's what I want to do. So. Uh, I started writing music just on my own that I, you know, writing film cues, imagining scenes and, and, and just writing pieces of music. And this was around the time when MIDI instruments were really starting to become a widespread thing, mm -hmm. uh, in the early nineties. 
And I managed to get a loan where I was able to get a few of these things, a synthesizer and a sampler and a, and a computer, and started recording demos of just musical ideas that I had. And one of these demos made its way to uh, Walt Disney Software, where a friend of mine worked as a tester. And uh, it was really, that's how I got my first job, writing music professionally. Uh, was that game. before or after uh, Flies on Fire? Uh, this is actually after Flies on Fire. Okay. I, I kind of skipped you, over you, my whole... Yeah, I skipped yeah, over but, but a lot it, of years. I, I'm asking this because uh, I, I don't think many people know this, but you actually had a, a, a got a record deal with that band, right? Yes, yes. I was in a band. Uh, we were signed to Atco Atlantic Records. And uh, we did two albums couple of music videos, a lot of touring, played some really big concerts. Um, you know, I got to live that lifestyle. And uh, I'm not sure I got onto the film game music thing, which I thought your listeners might be interested in, but people might be interested mm -hmm. in this too. You know, this is really part of my background that kind of summates who I am and, and how I do stuff uh, is, you know, playing in a, playing in a live band and recording. And that's really where I learned how to work in the studio. Uh, I had my own MIDI studio, but it really wasn't a studio studio, you know. Um, so that's where I worked in my first professional studios, playing in bands. And I would ask engineers what they were doing. I was curious about how things worked and what a patch bay was. <laughs> um, and uh, that's really how it all started for me. And I think that playing in a band gave me that because I was always kind of a shy kid, but playing in bands really helped me come out of my shell a little bit. And, uh, you know, so so that 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 all ended, what you know, when I was around 27 years old and our record company, our second album didn't do so well. So our record company dropped us. And uh, it was around that time that I made this demo that went to Walt Disney Software and got my first job and it was shortly after that that i got a call from the vp up at sega who pretty much hired me over the phone okay <laughs> um which was one of the which was such a lucky break his name is roger hector and to this day i'm grateful to him uh he's a great guy now he actually used to be the vp of walt disney software mm -hmm. and um, one of the guys at Walt Disney Software was going up to work at Sega and took some of my demos up with him. And it just so happened they were looking for a music director up there. And I asked him if he would give my demos to the powers that be. And he did. And Roger gave me a call and hired me. And that's that's really where my whole time at Sega started. Mm -hmm. So from a demo that someone... That you, you gave to, to a yes. friend, and then it all snowballed yes. from there. <laughs> yes, on, on cassette tape, no less. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> cassette tapes were still quite common then. So I, uh, that's how I recorded my stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, they were widely used. People still had them in their cars. So all, all you children out there, that's, that's cassette tape has, has the two reels on each side. No, I'm joking. Different from CDs. 
And people are now saying, CDs? What's that? Yeah. We're oh, old. right. Yeah. Never mind that. We're old. Uh- <laughs> yeah. No, we used to record, but even in the studio and even a recording orchestra, we used to record to tape. Yeah. You know? So if you mm-hmm. screwed up, <laughs> there was, and depending on the machine you recorded on, it was very hard to fix. It was mm-hmm. hard to punch in. It was hard to punch out. So a lot of the time I've worked, I'd worked on with some machines where you just had to play it all through or some machines you could punch in if you had a good engineer, but you couldn't punch out. <laughs> so if you were good in like the first verse and the first chorus, but made a mistake, but played the rest of the song perfectly, you had to like punch in where the mistake happened and play the rest out. So it was a, it was a, it was kind of, it was just different. It was different. Yeah. Um, People don't but, appreciate the the how how it's not that they don't appreciate, but they don't know the difference between having things so easily and readily available today as uh, as with before people had to do things manually and it was a really a lot of work. So it's, it it's was different. yeah, it was, and in a lot of ways, well, not in a lot of ways, it was definitely so much more expensive to do mm-hmm. in those days. Mm-hmm. You know, to have these big 24 track tape machines these things were incredibly expensive had the wherewithal to make a recording uh and you know just recording time was so expensive i you know listen i've i've lived in both worlds and i wouldn't trade the world we're in for nothing i think this in, this technology is incredible it is so incredible mm-hmm. uh i absolutely love it and uh you know there's a lot of people that don't feel the same way whatever um, I think that recording back in, you know, back in the days of tape was harder. It definitely was. And I think as, as a result, uh, you had much fewer people doing it and being able to do it well, because it did require a certain level of musicianship that, um, well, you couldn't get away with anything then, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, you couldn't, there wasn't like, okay, I got this right once, let's cut it and paste it and fix it and yeah. auto-tune it or whatever. There just was none <laughs> of that. But but I just think what we're able to do now with the technology is astounding. I, I, I absolutely love it. I, I wouldn't trade it at all. You know, and especially now that I'm kind of, you, you know, thinking about recording the way we did back then. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's just, It's so easy now. So... Uh yeah, it's, yeah, it's great. So you you embrace the advancements of technology. I absolutely embrace it, and <laughs> and uh, you know i I've been I've been making music professionally during this whole rise since the early days of MIDI. The first game I did that I referenced for for Disney was a game with a a sound. It was a PC game, um, and I had to work with a a sound card called the AdLib Sound Blaster or Sound Blaster AdLib card. So that was a card that was inside the PC and it had FM sounds in it and you had to program music for that card. And uh, I, I, you know, when, when things eventually became streaming, I was just, oh, and sounds and samplers got better. I, I just loved it. And it continues to get better. It's just amazing what you can do now. And even uh, at, at, for the current situation we're on, uh, if you had to do things like you did before, 
you you couldn't be working on new stuff right now, for example, from the comfort of your home or your home studio or whatever, right? So it would be well, you could. very difficult, well, you could. at least. Yeah, absolutely. You could. Uh, but, you know, in those days, you wrote at the piano. You have your mm -hmm. pencil and paper and you're at the piano and you can write till, till your heart's content. And I still like to do some of that. That's where I kind of conceive of a lot of ideas. Aren't my studio? I go inside the house and I have a piano, and I sit there and and I still like to come up with initial ideas that way. But um, uh, I've done whole film scores by myself in my studio, full orchestral scores. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would love to have budget for real orchestra. <laughs> but so much of these projects just don't set aside budget for that. Um, I think it's incredible to be able to do that, to to be able to realize complete or orchestral ideas uh, yourself. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's, you know, we've been able to do that now for a number of years. I think that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, especially for people that don't have the wherewithal or, you know, the, the credit to be able to, you know, get an orchestra to play their stuff, you can really simulate something that sounds quite real mm -hmm. uh, to most people. I mean, not, obviously not to it's, audiophiles. <laughs> not to audiophiles. You know, obviously it's not real. And, you know, the, the fact of the matter is uh, it's not even close to, mm -hmm. to, the, to the body of sound that you get from real players. Um, but you know you can really simulate it and and uh, uh, and make something that sounds in in to my ears quite fantastic mm -hmm. um, with with what you have to be able to do that by yourself is astounding to me still yeah. mm -hmm. definitely so by the way, side note, we're talking about music in video games in in film. How important from your perspective, of course, you're the musician, so it's really important to you, but from a, um, like a player point of view or a moviegoer, uh, a spectator, how important do you think music is uh, to these kinds of projects, to these forms of entertainment? Well... <laughs> I mean, we're all biased as composers, you know. Uh, <laughs> I feel it's hugely uh, important. I, I forget the ratio. People would say the visuals are a certain percentage, dialogue is a certain percentage, uh, and music is uh, is also a large part of that percentage. Uh, maybe 20%, 25%. I forget the cut. There used to be a standard ratio that people would say that I used to hear. Mm -hmm. um, it's not always treated that way. It's certainly not treated that way in regards to budget, but, <laughs> uh, you know, we come at the end. So people have usually spent a lot of their money and gone over budget and things always cost more. So they're, they're usually lower <laughs> on money, but, you know, I also think it depends on the project. Uh, and it's different with games, uh, versus film in my estimation. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, you know. I, I think that music can can add a lot to to games, uh, but it's 
it's it's a little more complicated in that these days it it's interactive and i believe how that music fits together and reacts to what the player is doing within the game yeah how cleverly that's done uh that's a whole nother uh that that's a whole nother dynamic than in film in film mm -hmm. we as composers look at a film and react and try and enhance what's already there um we're not you know game music to me is a little bit more like a puzzle you know you're you're asked to create a certain vibe over a level or an area of the game and you you create all of these parts that can work together as a, a, a sum of the whole, uh, but yet still be entertaining in all their separate parts. It's very mm -hmm. difficult. And you kind of have to anticipate what the player will do as well, right? To, so the music can adapt to what, whatever is happening on screen. Whereas Absolutely. In, with, with film, people are just watching. They're not interacting with the movie, right? Right. It's a whole nother, it's a whole nother dynamic, and I'm not saying that it's easier. You know, film mm -hmm. music is, is certainly, uh, I think film music is much more uh, 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 sensitive to what you do as a composer than game music. And the reason I say that is because film music is finite. It, it, it's, you know, game music, you may have one track uh, for an area of the game that consists of 12 different parts that together all work together uh but yet there's different kind of moods or or elements that come in based on what the player is doing or what the player encounters whereas film music is finite what's there is there yeah. and it's it's uh enhancing what's on screen so you know it's it's really tricky in that if you go too far one way or the other um you could you can overdo it or underdo it and um it's it's a very very difficult balance to find in film how to you know how to do these things and i always consider i'm i consider myself a lifelong student i'm still trying to learn how to do it right <laughs> um and i'm not sure if i'm 100% happy with anything that i've done because <laughs> it's I, I, there, there's, there's just so many different ways that you can handle it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, always learning, right? Always improving. That's the goal. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Try and, try and, you know, do something, learn something new every day, even if it's not in music. Learning other things will help you musically. Uh, oh, for learning sure. about you know, history or the economy or. Or, or just about anything, because mm -hmm. you may work on a film that deals with these subjects one day, um, mm -hmm. and you'll want to be able to relate. Okay, yeah, that's a good tip. So yeah. you, we've mentioned uh, you, you're working for, for Sega, and, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that in, in a few sure. moments. But uh, you, when you, so when you uh, did that demo, when you recorded that demo, your main goal was not to compose music, to write music for video games, right? So you wanted to um, write music for, for film. Well, I'll be honest with you. If I think back of the music that was on that demo, uh, it's, it's really, it, it was really all, all orchestral. 
So it really didn't pertain to video games. And uh, it was much more something that was akin to, say, concert music or film music. Um, or even theme park music. Um, but it was a demo of my music. That's how I thought of it back then. I was young. I didn't know. I thought, well, you know, I, I would have a musical idea. I'd work on it. I would record it. Sounded good to me. <laughs> uh, and that was what consisted of my demos in those days. Now, remember, back then, we're still, you know, talking about a time where people considered gay music to be blips and bleeps. That's what I would always hear. Exactly. And so uh, these were these demos were recorded with, uh, you know, kind of early orchestral libraries. <laughs> Things like, uh, I remember there was a, a little box called the Proteus, which I had. And it had these, uh, there was an orchestral version of this box, and I had it. And uh, listen, for back then, I thought it was great. You know, there was an oboe sound and a clarinet sound and a, a trumpet sound. You know, looking back on it now, it sounds terrible. But <laughs> back then, you know, uh, you could, you know, simulate a, an electronic sounding orchestra, you know, enough to be convincing that you know, there was no one that was convinced that it was a real orchestra, but they could kind of get the sense of what you were doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so were you, um, did you have the same uh, feeling about video game music uh, as other people that it was just bleeps and bloops? So when you actually were invited to, to work for, or at Sega Technical Institute, did you think, well, there goes my music career. Now I have to write bleeps and bloops. <laughs> or did you, know, you approach it differently? Well, I ended up approaching it differently, but it's a it's it's something I never thought I would do. I never planned to go into game music. The opportunity presented itself uh, because I was trying to make money, and uh, I had had a few jobs while I was playing in bands, and that was all you know when our we got dropped from our label. I had to get a job doing a few different things. I actually worked as a game tester, and that mm -hmm. was my first introduction to game companies. And, uh, you know, from what I had heard, I, I, I remember thinking, you know, this has potential. That, yeah, a lot of the music was blippy and bleepy, and it sounded that way, but I thought, well, I'm wondering if there's a way we could do more with this technology. And that, that was my approach at Sega. I thought I wasn't, I, I had even heard some other stuff that was going on at the time up at Sega. And, you know, I, I thought it was, to me, it sounded a little goofy. Um, it did sound a little blippy and bleepy and kind of just super, super happy and goofy. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, that's kind of not who I was musically. So that's the direction I tried to take. Okay. Were you on the receiving end of some sort of prejudice from others, maybe fellow musicians or friends, when you told them that you were working for a video game company? Because of that, that stereotype that it was just bleepy and stuff. Right. Uh, no, not of friends. I think my bandmates, because that was really it. We were kind of still practicing the band that I was in, Flies on Fire. But oh. it was, 
you know, we, we were still actually practicing and playing some gigs and things like that. But that when I got offered the job and the job entailed me moving up north to uh, San Francisco area from L.A., that that was the end of it for me, you know, and they were very happy for me. I mean, I couldn't I could not believe it. I was offered a salary plus benefits and a free studio <laughs> to write music all day. I couldn't believe it. It was too good to be true. So, so yeah, everybody, everybody personally who knew me was very happy for me. But it was not something in those days, because I still had aspirations to work on film, that it wasn't something that I put out there. Uh, because I still, I actually did a little additional music on films during that time. I worked on a few things, and it was not something I told anybody about. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because in those days, it was kind of, that's something you didn't want people in Hollywood to think about you as a composer. Oh, he's a video game composer, because that was the term that they all used, was blips and bleeps. And yeah, sure. You're not really <laughs> serious. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I certainly didn't make it known. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, dealing with the limitations of the hardware, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can post for the, the Genesis at the time. Yes. Um, a little bit for the Master System, if I'm not mistaken. Sonic Spinball? or Yeah, Sonic Spinball was the first yeah. game I did uh, mm-hmm. that I worked on. Uh, there were a number of composers that worked on that game. So uh, Sonic Spinball was the first game that, uh, that I worked on there. Actually, the first day that I started. <laughs> oh, <laughs> first day. Welcome. Uh, Here's the project the, the, to work on. Exactly. Well, the the <laughs> first day that I started, that they were in the throes of like the final days of finishing that game, but they were short on music. Some guys over at another division of Sega. There were three or four guys that had contributed some tracks, but they were still missing some tracks for that game. So, um. I kind of jumped in and and uh, the first day and and did a track and I think the next few days after that I I did a few other tracks and then they released the game. It was like wow, I was fast. I didn't get really <laughs> a chance to even get my bearings. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it was cool. How did you deal with the limitations of the hardware? Did you? Uh, s- s- some people say I I actually say that because I, I like listening to video game music from back in the day. Um, yeah. and, and most of our listeners uh, also like to, to listen to those uh, old tracks. Yes. Uh, there were limitations, right? But I think composers, um, as I say, limitations spark creativity. So Absolutely. You guys Absolutely. had to be very creative to make some things work on the hardware that you had to work on. Right. Do you know what? I learned so much working within those limitations and mm-hmm. having them. And it was such a good thing for me, uh, growth-wise, as a composer. Because when you have so little to work with, it forces you to really focus on what you're doing, what each voice is doing, how important it becomes. That wasn't my approach before. Because my approach was, oh, I can add any instrument I want, put a bunch of bullshit in and flourishes and stuff like this. Can't do that in this environment. Every note has to count. Uh, So it did so much for me. Uh, 
at, uh, is in terms of growing as a musician and a writer. And uh, it's something that to this day, I'll force myself into a box a little bit, whether consciously or because of budget. I've done a couple of things uh, for Spike Lee. And he's called me and he said, listen, I only want a clarinet and a piano. And that's it. <laughs> uh, and on one cue, he said he just wanted the clarinet. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really deep scene. And I, he said, I only want the clarinet on this scene. So those kinds of things force you to write in ways that you never would have written before. And I think it's, I, I, I think it's something that every composer should do. When you're forced into a situation, and my time at Sega, I really grew. By the time, the last game that I did there for the Genesis was a game called The Ooze. Mm -hmm. And it, by that point, I, I loved the Genesis. Absolutely loved it. I'd worked with it for a while. I'd learned how to deal with its constraints. I felt like I really pushed it to the limit on some things. And I loved it. I just absolutely loved it. I, I wish I had the whole setup even to this day <laughs> sitting in my <laughs> studio just because it, it forced me to write things in such a way that I, I just never would have done before. And it was really rewarding. And uh, I mean, that's all I can say about it. You know, when I first when I first got there, uh, you know, mind you, I'd already worked with the Sound Blaster, the Sound Blaster, which was, you know, in some ways more limiting than the Genesis. And, uh, so I was already, I was already on that road, but, uh, um, yeah, you know, in, in some ways I miss those times, you know, mm -hmm. I yeah. think that it, it really drew a lot out of composers during that, those times for the very same reasons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Tired of listening to the same music on the radio over and over again? Wouldn't it be great if you could have a station that played your favorite Sega music and remixes 24 hours a day, 7 days a week? Luckily, there's Radio Sega, an online radio station dedicated to the best in Sega and Atlas music. And you can request your favorites at any time. Plus, Radio Sega has live shows every single day of the week, including a first-hand preview of the Sega Lounge. You can find the full schedule of shows and listen to the station by going to radiosega.net. Radio Sega, playing the best Sega music 24-7. Uh, can you guide us, uh, in, in simple terms, uh, through the process of creating music for, for the Genesis? So you had to work with a programmer that actually implemented what you wanted to, to do, right? So you, you composed, you wrote the music, and someone else had to help you with that as well? or You mean put it, it in the Genesis? Yes. No. Uh, the, only the only time that that occurred was when I worked with the Sega team which was the, the Japanese team that did, uh, that was Naka's team, Naka and Yasuhara. Sonic team. And yeah, perhaps, exactly. Uh, Sonic um, team. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so 
they use a different uh, uh, front end tool and software to to uh, implement their music into the game. On you know, it was segregated in those days. And looking back on it, it's so weird. But we had the American side and we had the Japanese side, and that's what <laughs> we called it as Americans. It's like, oh yeah, he's on the American side. So, which is weird when you think about it. There weren't a lot of people that, or I should say, there weren't a lot of Americans that I saw that worked with the Japanese side. Mm-hmm. Naka had his team and and he was, you know, they worked a certain way. There was a language barrier. Uh, so it made some of that difficult. I'm rambling too much, aren't I? No, no, it's cool. Yeah, yeah. It it it, it actually makes sense because I, I think even to this day, there's a little bit of a separation between different branches of Sega, Sega of Japan, Sega of America, Sega of Europe. Things are a little bit better, I feel. Uh, right. <laughs> or have been getting a little bit better in the, the past few years. But um, a lot of some of some controversial decisions that Sega made in the past were in part due to that separation between different countries and different they 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 treat each other as different companies okay so we're we're talking about um how the process of actually getting the music that you wrote on the genesis worked right yes and that, there was some differences between games that you so sonic team of japan games and the other games right yes uh, they they used a different platform with which to develop music. So, mm-hmm. uh, in the in the case when I worked with the Sonic team, which was primarily on Sonic and Knuckles, where my stuff was implemented, where I worked with uh, the gentleman who who uh, from Sega of Japan who was over in America and he was implementing the music. His name was Setsu. Setsumaru. Yeah, yeah. Masaru Setsumaru, I think. Yes, yes. Yeah. F- fabulous guy. And uh, so I, I would, uh, I developed these tracks, I would record the audio, and I would do it full band with ideas that I had. And I would give him the MIDI, and he would realize that within the system that they used uh, for their games. Now, on the American side, um, I did that whole process myself. I developed the music for the Genesis with the the front end that we used, which in which was called Gems, G E M S. Stood for something, game emulator music system. Oh, I think that's it. Okay. <laughs> um and uh I can't believe I remembered that, but well, it's something like that. But anyway, so I developed everything myself where I would go in and edit instruments to make instruments to use within the music and uh and then i would output what's called a bin file which had all the music and sound effects in it mm-hmm. and i would give it to the main programmer of the game and he would implement the, the, the that within the game and i would always have to go over with the programmer where this went within the game so on and so forth so things would be implemented in the right spot okay interesting by the way yeah. james Genesis editor for music and sound effects. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I just Googled it. <laughs> you did. You did. Google okay, so friend. I was wrong. But, you know, to be honest, but with the way enough, that... But close enough. Close <laughs> enough. 
<laughs> but uh, but you know what the the way that I used it, I I think my description of it is more, at least the way that I accurate, it, right? Accurate, yes, because yeah, yeah. basically what it did is my main composing software that I use is is called Digital Perform. Mm -hmm. So I was still using that on a Macintosh, but via MIDI, there was a, a well. Let me let me back up. Gems was a software that ran in DOS on a PC mm -hmm. and via a printer cable would connect into this contraption that we would stick in an actual Genesis machine. And uh, I could access, I could basically turn the Genesis into an external synth like we think of nowadays. Mm -hmm. And so it basically was an emulation or no, it wasn't an emulation because it actually was the Genesis. Maybe their description is better. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the sound so, effect so part. It, it was oh, the, gosh. The, the software that you used to make music. <laughs> it, it was. And, and the sound effects, because remember then oh, yeah, I yeah. had to do the sound effects too, okay. which was a whole, uh, which I, you know, it wasn't really my forte, but that's just what you did then, you know, mm -hmm. if you were at least where I was, because there was only one person in my department and it was me. I had a director <laughs> level status, um, <laughs> but I had no like staff under me. It was just I was by myself and uh, over in Sega of America, which was a different division of Sega than STI. Mm -hmm. They had several composers over there. They had like a whole, they had a studio, they had a whole uh, team of composers and everything, and they worked on what they worked on. But in in STI, there was just me alone. So I had to do everything by myself. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I didn't care, you know. I Again, I was just happy to have a full-time job writing music. I couldn't believe it. That's great. That's great. So, how did yeah. you deal with with sound effects? How, uh, how did you and, and not not just sound effects, but the the, the actual score for the game? Because um, nowadays, with um, you know cutscenes, CGI, and and whatnot, uh, composers usually get sent some some rough sketches or some mm -hmm. or even the the, the cutscenes to to get a, a a feel of the game and what happens and etc. Did you get that much information back in the day? Especially, you. I think you already said that in some cases you had weeks to work on 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 s s specific projects. So, did you get any information, any kind of information that helped you come up with the soundtrack for that game and the oh, sound effects? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in the case of like the Sonic stuff, no. There wasn't really inf any information because Sonic was a thing. It already had an established thing, a vibe to it, musically okay. and, and so forth. But uh, in, the, in the original games that I worked on, on the uh, with uh, uh, the the American teams, and then later on with uh, I'll talk about. There's another team uh, uh, that was headed up by a guy named Makoto Uchida. Uchida-san had his own team and we later developed games for him later on, or, mm -hmm. or I worked on music for those games, but um, you know, I, I would basically, it would start with some kind of write-up you know, they would give me a, a profile with the 
game is, what the vibe of it is. And, you know, I would see art. And this was really easy because we all worked in the same office building. So I would just like walk to someone's cubicle and kind of look at what they were doing. I'd look at the artists. I'd look at what the animators were doing. So I'd get a vibe of it very early on. But, you know, I really didn't start developing music until they had some kind of gameplay going on um, that I could actually see and we could implement into the game. Because to me, there just wasn't really any point. Um, it's like, uh, you know, writing music for a film before there's a film, which certainly you can do and is done all the time. And I think it can be a great way to work. But with games, where my, my mindset at that time is I really wanted to create something that uh, would enhance the vibe you know, the pace of that game. And, and all these different games had different paces and some I felt like needed some action to help push them a little bit because maybe their gameplay seemed a little slow to me. Um, so, you know, I would generally wait. I would kind of come up with ideas, um, but I would really wait till I implemented anything in the Genesis until there was at least, you know, somewhat of a, a first level going that we could put in the game and have a feel for it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking of a comic zone, which oh, is yes. for many, I think myself included, I think the, the best, the, the, the soundtrack that you're better known for, at least. Right. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's the best, but I, I really enjoy that. And I really think it fits into the game very well. Um, so how, and, and I think that's probably from what I've heard from you so far, maybe what actually, we get the feel of how, uh, where you were musically at the time and what you liked. So it's a, a bit more rock, right? So right. maybe got the, we got the feel of your, uh, rock star years in the band. Right. 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 So was that the, the exactly. feel that you were going for with that game? specifically Absolutely. because it's a very different game from anything else that was done at the time right and and that <clears throat> that started the game designer on that game was a, a, a was i'm talking about him like he's dead he's not <laughs> peter morwick if he hears it so laugh <laughs> yeah um and when peter first had the idea for that game i was involved in that game very very early on uh before there was any gameplay And uh, Peter created, he was, he was a, I'm, again, I'm talking about him like he's dead. Not that he was, <laughs> he is a super talented guy, <clears throat> a jack of all trades. So he was a game designer, but the way that he would propose a game is he would kind of do all the art himself and animate sequences of, you know, basically what they would look like. And uh, he showed this to me and, and we, we went out for lunch one day and we, you know, he told me that the whole Seattle grunge scene was really big at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, he sketched Turner, who's the main uh, character in this game. He kind of patterned after one of these guys, you know, um, or attempted to, you know. Okay. I'm not sure if, you know, I mean, he wasn't wearing flannel. Or or did he have a flannel uh, shirt tied around his waist? Maybe he did. I, I, I don't think so. He had a, like a... <laughs> It's really not a, a white t-shirt. <laughs> right. Can't right. remember. So, so obviously grunge came to mind, 
you know, let's, let's, but how do you do that on the Sega Genesis? That's tricky. So, um, I created this demo, uh, was the first thing that I wrote for it. And it actually Peter helped use it to sell the executives on the game. And I think it's mm-hmm. the, the music that you hear when he's fighting in the shipyards. Um, uh-huh. and I think, I don't know, I'd heard some grunge song, maybe Alice in Chains or something like that. And, and then I came back and I did this piece and I edited some instruments that kind of sounded fuzzy and I'm a guitar player. So, uh, I was able to write a lot of this stuff on guitar. And then my plan was to translate this into, uh, the Genesis and have it kind of come off. So that was, that was really difficult, but you know, getting back to what I spoke about earlier, my experience in bands and, and, you know, knowing what everybody does in a band and having played for so long in bands that uh, I think it really helped me develop the music for that game. Uh, Because my idea was to have from the very opening screen, make it sound like there's a live band playing the soundtrack of the game, which is why uh, I had the idea that over the opening to have this uh, band kind of tuning up. Yeah. I thought, well, so I used pitch bend, which you could do with the Genesis in limited amounts without crashing it. Um, I, you know, I made it sound like a guitar is tuning, much like I would tune, and a bass noodling, and drummers always hitting their drums because that's what drummers do. Um, just everybody's kind of loosening up before we start. Because at that time, I think every single Sega game. Always started with this same little Sega, this mm-hmm. this little sign. So, and I thought, you know, why don't we? Can, oh, first of all, I asked, can we do something? You know, I don't know if this is like going to piss people off because this company always has this kind of signature thing. So, uh, I was told I could try it, and I did it, and I had the vocalist warm up, and you know, uh, with these little eight bit samples. Which was me, basically. Yeah, it was you, right? Yeah, doing basically. And by the way, for people who are not familiar with it, let me just play the clip. Oh sure. Test one two. I actually remember hearing this for the first time, and I, I cracked up laughing with oh you did oh great the sega (laughs) right well you know in those days i would because that's me imitating elvis yeah (laughs) really that's what i was thinking because i I, you know i say test one two which is what Uh we always did when Mm -hmm. you play a live show test one two or some form of that uh and a singer will always oh you know like the so the mix guy can get a level and i thought how cool would be to just have like an elvis impersonator do it but um, I'm not sure how many people really got the joke, but I was really into subversive humor at that time. And mm-hmm. I would seek any possible way that I could <laughs> to get these little sounds or little things into games that uh, I thought were funny. I didn't really care if anybody else thought they're funny. I thought that they were funny. And one of them actually is that's in that game is uh, every now and then. Peter had had it implemented in such a way that a certain sequence of of actions would have to happen. Sketch Turner will fart. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, uh, 
And, you know, I got a kick out of that because, listen, I was a single guy. I was working seven days, working all the time. I, I did, I, you know, it was raining all the time up there. I did do something to make myself laugh. So those <laughs> kinds of things made me laugh. And I know it sounds kind of dumb, but I think it's funny. Yeah. Um, but what was really funny is were the, uh, you know, when, when the game went through testing, you know, testers, they test the game and they, they send in test reports, you know, to have bugs fixed and things like that. And we kept continually getting these reports about, quote unquote, flatulation sound <laughs> from Sketch. And that this is a problem and we need to fix this bug. And they didn't they thought bug. it was a sound <laughs> bug. And we would just laugh our asses off. Uh, and we never fixed it. We would just, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod. Oh, yeah, we're working on that. And uh, it just made it made its way all the way through. Um, and listen, to this day, even with my sons, if I hear a fart sound, I laugh. So... <laughs> Yeah, I'm hoping it's, that I, I think I, it's, it's universal universal comedy. I think. Well, not right? with my wife. Not with my wife. Really? <laughs> <laughs> it's not universal to her. Okay. Uh, the jury's out on my daughter. She's only three, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I think it, it, if all else fails, you know, little farting noise or a right, joke exactly. or something, little uh, toilet humor. Yeah, it does exactly. a trick, I think. Yeah. So I don't know where I was as far as the game, but you know that I started on that game. That was I've never started on a game so early, mm -hmm. uh, and and I started on that one. And I I don't think I've ever worked on a game so long as that one. I was involved in that game for a very very long time, and I had breaks when I went over and jumped and worked on other things, and then I'd come back to Comic Zone. But um, it was really my mission with that game to try and push the Genesis as far as I could. Mm -hmm. And I think with the help of the the main programmer of that game, uh, a guy named Adrian Stevens, who uh, is just a brilliant programmer. And he actually wrote some new routines, uh, coding-wise, to help me get more audio into the game. Because, you know, I talked to him. I said, listen, I really want to, you know, with regards to the intro we talked about, uh, where I do my Elvis imitation and check one, two. Even just that little snippet right there eats up a huge portion of what you can use for the game. <laughs> so because it was so limited, the memory was so limited. So he yeah. created this routine that would, you know, uh, uh, save us a lot of memory in that way. And, and in real time, unzip these samples each time that they were used. And uh, so he really was able to make that happen so I could have a larger audio footprint. And what was normal, you just don't see, you didn't see that back then, that, that big, that much audio going into a game. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, but, you know, there, there was a learning curve for me coming in and making sound effects uh, at the 8-bit level. And, you know, the one audio channel that we had had to be shared by everything from the snare drum. Uh, if you used audio for a snare drum, which I did in that game. And any kind of audio sound effects, awesome. and uh, the so audio sound effects, yeah, limitations, yep. sparking creativity, right? Sparking creativity <laughs> and 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 getting some unlikely people involved. I, Peter is one; he does the robot guy that you fight, and I kind of uh, put effects on his voice, and 
I did a lot of the sound effects myself, uh, vocal sound effects. Uh, but some of them were recorded by a few of the, the admins or, or secretaries. I would just grab somebody and say, hey, would you like to come into my studio? And <laughs> that's, that actually sounds kind of like <laughs> hitting them. Hey. hey no, it Sega. wasn't like that. <laughs> Sega. <laughs> right. Hey. Uh, come inside. My, you know, I would invite them to come inside my studio and let's try and record some sound effects. So, I, mm-hmm. I you know, I kind of made it like a office-wide fun thing. And, uh, you know, so people... I don't know if people were really hiring voice actors then to do stuff like that. Maybe they were like Sega of America across the way. They would always do stuff like they they would. It seemed like, oh, gosh, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. But it seemed like they would spend as much money as possible trying to do their game stuff over there. (laughs) But I was this I was the path of least resistance. I didn't want to. You know, I didn't know if I had a budget. I didn't really care. I was like, I need a female voice. Oh, there's a. You know, there's a girl working over here. Let me see if she, you know, would like to do a yell sound or something. Because we had a few, couple of female characters I think, mm-hmm. in the game. And uh, that's how I did it. It was fine. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. Great, yeah. great job. Great job. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm very proud of that game to this day. You know, I only wish it would have come out earlier in the Genesis cycle. Because yeah. by the time it came out, everybody was already looking ahead. Mm-hmm. And I think that that game really lost uh, a foothold that it could have had at the time. But, you know, I think the popularity of the game is largely because of, you know, the game being reported to other devices. And then people looking back after the fact. Because mm-hmm. there's been a whole uh, movement, you know, musically especially, from looking back to music of, of that time. And uh, I've even commented, you know, listening to a lot of modern pop music, commented to my wife, you know, hey, this sounds like stuff we were doing in the Genesis days. You know, even the sound of it, you know, uh, of a lot of pop music that I hear. And I guess it stands to reason because a lot of the people making that music or producing it were probably, you know, maybe a kid then or a teenager and we're playing these games and may have been influenced by it. Oh, so for sure. I don't know if that has something to do with it. But, oh, de- definitely. Um, definitely. For, for many, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because we have all of this bandwidth and everything and so much of what's going on right now. And it's even in the, in film music is how can we like degrade the sound and distort it and make it sound lo-fi. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, we were spending decades trying not to do that. <laughs> you know, trying to make all this lo-fi crap that we had to work with sound uh, high fidelity. And it, it's funny because now I get to go back and like screw stuff up again, which I love. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah kind of everything everything comes back. Yeah. Oh, that that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What What's old is new again right now yeah so, yeah exactly exactly <laughs> awesome uh speaking of the music in comic zone by the way so you yeah. you actually uh ended up creating a, a vocal range album for, yes with, with with lyrics vocals yes um and you had a, a band called roadkill right so yes that was a band was that, that i put together yeah Specifically for this project, or did it go on for some time doing other things? 
No, no, it never went on. <laughs> <laughs> I was told when I was up at, I was still up north at the time for Sega, and, I, and there was a marketing idea to include, you know, because of this whole rock grunge thing around the game, uh, the sound of it and, and the look of it or whatever, the vibe of it. Uh, mm-hmm. I was I was told maybe I even went to a marketing meeting or something where they wanted to add a CD of music to the game. And that's kind of how it all sprung about. Now, um, my boss uh, uh, let me have a budget to go make. uh, Really, it wasn't a full album. It was an EP. So I came down to Los Angeles and just got some of my buddies. One of them was in a band called Mary's Danish and another one. Uh, was in my former band, Flies on Fire, but mm-hmm. they now had another. They uh, turned into a punk band called Vitamate, and then another friend of mine who was in some other band, which I can't remember. And there were guys I picked because I felt that their sound and playing style would work well for this. So we rehearsed once and just went in the studio and did it. Um, and it was it was really great. It was it was really great, you know, for me having been up at Sega for a couple of years to get in the studio with a band again was really mm-hmm. great. And uh, and you know, you wrote we were, everything. You wrote the music, the lyrics, right? I did. I I did. I wrote all the music, and um, but Tim, who was my former bandmate from Flies on Fire, he ended up helping me out with the lyrics because I'm not a big lyric guy, and Tim's. A, You know, he was really into lyrics and he's a really good lyricist. And some of the lyrics I came up with, I just didn't put much time into and they were really dumb. So, (laughs) you know, because Tim's whole vibe was, hey, listen, I'm just going to sing. You need to write the lyrics. I'll do it. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know what they were expecting, you know, before, like when I contacted them to do this. I think that they're expecting, oh, this is game music. You know, but I think once I got down there and they realized, oh, this is pretty cool. Then Tim said, you know what? I'm I'm going to work on, you know, some of these lyrics are just, I don't want to sing this, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Now, he did keep some of my lyrics, but he would kind of go in and um, and change them a little bit or kind of make them more to his, uh, to more to his liking. Mm-hmm. And, okay. uh, and he sang most of the tracks except for one, which I sang. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I didn't want to sing. But uh, I somehow got pushed into it because I had to for the demos that we did. So we went in, we rehearsed the songs, we went into Sound City and we recorded basic tracks. But when we did these basic tracks, they wanted me because I'd written all the, you know, melodies for the vocal. They wanted me to, Tim wanted me to sing them sing rough so he could then take those home and learn what to sing over the track. Mm-hmm. So that that's how that all started. And that's how it started with him saying, I think one of the lines I had was cut myself on a piece of pipe. My wife jokes around about that to this day. <laughs> it was for the sewer keeper guy. It was, uh, let me put it this way. I was really, so, I was so busy getting ready for that session. And the lyrics for me were such an afterthought that when I met with Tim the day before we rehearsed, 
I was writing, I was actually literally writing the lyrics uh, uh, or some of them while I was driving on the way to his house. And I drove a stick shift. So it was difficult to write the lyrics. I could only write stuff down at a red light. And then I'd have to go. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's exactly how some of those lyrics were written. It was so when that, I was going over to the, his house to meet with him and go over the uh, lyrics. It's the 1995 version of uh, texting and driving. Exactly. Exactly. It was very dangerous. <laughs> but I was young and, you know, reckless back In then. Reckless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's an amazing story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, so so we did that, and uh, and I think it got released because I know in America somebody in marketing had this, this had a little bit of a different idea that they wanted to put a compilation together of some well known bands mm -hmm. that had nothing to do with the game and put that in as a free CD, which I didn't think was a really good idea, but that's what they did with the American. Did. Edition, uh, to me that offered nothing. The, the the tracks were just like for some bands. I think one of them was Tool. I can't remember a lot of the bands that won this track, but they were all well known bands at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of the typical marketer. Well, let's do this and compilation, but but it had nothing to do with the game. There were no songs on that extra bonus CD that related to the game whatsoever. So. To me, I just didn't see the point in doing that. I just think they thought, well, maybe it'll drive more people to notice the game and buy it. I don't know mm -hmm. if it did or not. Who knows? But in the, uh, I think in the European version or the PC version of the game, they included the CD that I did, which makes it kind of rare. That yeah, I, I wasn't aware of, of that other bonus CD. I was just familiar with the, the Roadkill version. <laughs> right. Right, exactly. Yeah. And that other bonus CD does exist. It's out mm. there. But again, it's just a compilation of tracks from mm -hmm. some other big band's albums where it's like, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I yes. don't really get this, but they, they like did some a, a weird... few of those with, with Sonic as well. Music that had nothing to do with Sonic, but like, right. Uh, And, with... you know, for, in my opinion, for real gamers, because I had been involved with some Sonic stuff by that time and, and really had been, you know, become a, more in tune with that world. And to, I thought to myself that real gamers are just going to be like, huh? I mean, maybe they'll like having this extra CD of cool songs. Okay, that's cool. But I think they would have been much more interested. And I didn't know about this until after I'd already done the Roadkill CD. Um, and, mm -hmm. uh, So, you know, it was, it was just, it is what it was. I, it was, it was like, a okay, thing. Well, yeah. That's what they want to do. That's why I first learned <laughs> the word <laughs> cross marketing or cross proportional, what promotional, like whatever the term mm. is, the marketing term. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Okay. Awesome. By the way, roadkill, because, because of the, the, the rat in the game. The rat. Or? Yeah. Yeah. The rat. Okay. okay. Yeah. And I thought it was a cool name I, when I was thinking of a name for the band because we all, you know, this was just a band that I put together for this, like I said, mm -hmm. it, and mm -hmm. it was, it wasn't, we had no plans to do anything else, which we never did. Um, they were just buddies of mine, you know, from, from my band days. And yeah. uh, so it was just a fictitious band. And so I thought, well, 
that that's a good name is after the rat. Um, <laughs> cause the rat was one of my favorite characters in the game. I love the rat. Yeah. <laughs> you could, you could use the, the rat as, as an item, <laughs> which was great. Right. He would unlock stuff for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was a hard game though, man. Hard, but amazing. Yeah. But, but really hard. Yeah. That's, that's really that's hard, true. really hard. And, you know, I remember hearing people say it was hard and I tried to play it and I was just like, damn, man, because I would try and get in areas of the game so I could listen to stuff. And I'd have to get Peter. I'd say, hey, Peter, can you, you know, or I would go to Adrian's office, who was the programmer, and I would say, can I just like play me level three? Because I, I can't, I get frustrated. <laughs> I'd storm down to his office. Can you just bring the damn level up? I can't get there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was hard but it was very very good okay yeah. Howard I want to try something with you called quick shots apologies okay. no not shots as in alcohol unfortunately <laughs> uh, what this is is basically a, f a quick fire round so uh, okay. I will I have some words or phrases here and what I wanted you to do is to tell me the first thing that pops into your head Okay. Ready? I am ready. Okay. Quick shots with Howard Drossen. First one, music. Beethoven. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's the first thing that popped in my head. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Stravinsky? Uh, yeah. Um... No, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Yeah. I... Okay. Video games. Sega. Good, because the next one is Sega. Oh. <laughs> uh, Sonic. Mm. Movies. Daniel Day-Lewis. Mm. I don't know why. He's my favorite actor. Okay. Excellent. Excellent choice. And the last one. Howard Drossen. Oh boy, is this a uh, psychotherapy analysis? Because <laughs> my id or whatever they call it may be on full display. Okay, I'm going to give this a little thought. So this is not going to be so quick shot. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, in development. <laughs> to be determined. That's better. <laughs> <laughs> and to be announced later. No, I have a better one. Complicated. Okay, it's complicated. <laughs> that's a great complicated. one. Complicated. <laughs> yes, actually, that's the best. That's the yeah, one we'll keep. For sure. That's, that's my official answer. Okay. So that was Quick Shots with Howard Drossen. That's it for the first part of my interview with the legendary Howard Drossen. As I said at the beginning of the show, there's more to our conversation, so be sure to come back next week for some info on Virtual Sonic, Howard's advice to beginner musicians, and the Sega Lounge Challenge. Yes, I didn't forget, I just saved it for next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the show. If you did, let me give you 
your weekly reminder to subscribe to the Sega Lounge on your favorite podcast app. We also have a brand new website you can find at thesegalounge.com where you can find links to the show on all major podcast services. Also, please consider leaving us a 5-star review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And be sure to share the show with your friends on social media. Your support is greatly appreciated. Finally, a quick word about the times we are living in. The world's been facing a lot of different and difficult challenges lately. Whatever we do, whatever our preferences are, whatever video games or music or any other things we like, we owe it to ourselves and each other to try and become a better person each day. The way we can do that is, above all else, to treat each other with respect and compassion. After all, we're all in this, and by this I mean the world, together. Not just with words, but especially through our actions. Let's do our best to help one another and just be kind to everyone. With that thought, I hope you have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. And please come back for more Howard Drossen goodness next week, right here on the Sega Lounge. Bye-bye. The Sega Lounge, hosted by me, KC, and part of Radio Sega's network of live shows and podcasts. Theme song and incidental music by OSC. Find them at opussciencecollective.bandcamp.com. Got any suggestions? Drop me an email to kc at radiosega.net. Follow us on Twitter at The Sega Lounge. You can find previous episodes of the show by going to thesegalounge.com and wherever fine podcasts are downloaded.